All right, well, let's go ahead and bow in prayer, and then we'll <clears throat> get going with this lesson. Father, we thank you for your amazing grace. We thank you um, that you have loved us, people who are unlovely, people who have, have rebelled against you, people who not only are captive to our own sin, but we have loved our own sin and um, we're very content to be mastered by it and Satan and your love for us wasn't something that was just a uh, a theoretical kind of love or a theological kind of love but it was something that you demonstrated that you um, put action to um, by waging war against our sin and against Satan so we praise you that you have dis- defeated him, that you've defeated this war. Um, and even though we experience that war in a, in a to a degree, we experience it with victory and hope because this is not our home. And this war will end one day and we will be fully and finally and completely victorious over sin. And it's in in and through the work of your son that that is possible so we praise you for this grace that you have given to us that you have sacrificed what is dear and and, and close to your heart so that we could be free from sin and so God as your ambassadors as people who have been tasked with taking this amazing gift of the gospel to other people I I pray that we would um, have hearts that bleed for unbelievers that we would see our neighbors that we would see um, people on the news that we would see even presidential candidates that are just so frustrating and mind blowing to us that we would see people as um, people made in your image in people that need Christ um, first and foremost before we see all their deficiencies and their frustrations so I pray that you would give us a passion for the lost and a heart that is willing to follow you as you have gone and done battle with sin and Satan and you have gone at great cost of yourself to the lost I pray that we would have that similar heart um, And so we praise you and thank you for your grace. And I pray that you would help us as we think through how we can um, help enlarge the family of God in a really hostile world. How, uh, How we can do that, but not only how we can do that, I pray that you would inspire us to do that by the grace that you have given to us. In your name we pray. Alright, so last week we talked about worship and worshiping together. And there were lots of things we said, but it was boiled down into the definition I gave. Our entire lesson was was uh, just an expansion of the definition I gave of worship, which was, or I can say, worship is a, a believer's humble response to the greatness and goodness of God. 
worship is a believer's humble response to the greatness and goodness of God, his worthiness. And we looked at text after text to try to prove these things. But only believe, we said that only believers can worship, that believers, in the very nature of what worship is, we are ascribing to a higher being something that we do not possess. So there, there is humility, and in this case, ultimate humility, because he's the creator, we are the creature. He is the savior, we are the people needing salvation. So worship is a believer's humble response because only a believer can worship in spirit and in truth. But it is a response. It is not merely an intellectual endeavor. It is not simply something that we just sit there and we listen to and we just ponder and it never stirs up our entire being. Worship ought to be a response of our entire person to the greatness and the goodness of God. So we could also put that another way. Who he is and what he has done would be another way to put it. Tonight, we're going to shift gears a little bit. Instead of thinking inside the church, now we're going to think about outside the church or going outside the borders of sometimes what we think, even though the church is not a building, we sometimes think of the church, even in its people, as like, okay, here's our group. This is like within the four walls. This is who we are. But we can't just be content to be just CBC inside the four walls of our building and just be insiders. We have to move out. And so that's what I'd like to talk talk tonight about. Our, our goal is this, to discover how to enlarge the family of God in a world against God. To, to discover how to enlarge the family of God in a world against God. And so this lesson, I'm just going to confess, don't go back to first semester and listen to this lesson again, but it's going to be very similar. Almost all the questions are going to, were drawn from that with a few adaptations because the last lesson in semester one was about how we can be a positive witness for Christ. And when I started going through this lesson, I thought, this lesson just seems like eerily similar to something that we've already done and discussed. And all the points that I was writing in my notes, I thought, haven't we already talked about this? And I looked back and I thought, we sure have. But it would be a good lesson to go back over and to, to rethink because it's important. So my first question for you tonight is, can you think of any text of Scripture that would show to you and I our duty to share the gospel with others? Because for anyone, for us to enlarge the family, that means we have to be sharing the gospel with other people. So any text that that just pop into your mind that would call us to share the gospel with others. Okay. Matthew 28, 19, and 20, go and make disciples of all nations. And on and on it goes.
long week already? <laughs> We're all just staring, hoping that I don't call your name. There's one verse I can't remember it now. I can remember it's just a little phrase of it, but um, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Okay. Uh, and Paul says that a lot. That'd be Romans, right? It'd be Romans, Romans one, maybe. Share the gospel, the power of God, and salvation. Romans one sixteen. That's not. That's not a that one though. The Acts one eight is you receive power if the Holy Ghost come upon you. Should be witnessing me both Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, but in most parts of the world. Yeah, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. That's the NIV version, but that's probably what, maybe what you're thinking. That's Romans 1.16. I don't, but, I mean, there's a gazillion text we can look at. So, Acts 1.8 says what? Uh, you should be witnesses after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You should be witnesses and be both in Jerusalem, Judea, okay. Samaria. Okay. First Peter three. Peter exhorts the readers there that they are always to be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks, to give a reason for the hope that you have. Romans chapter, or I'm sorry, First Peter three fifteen and sixteen. So Matthew twenty eight nineteen and twenty. First Peter three fifteen and sixteen. Acts one eight. Romans one sixteen now. Um, a text that's lengthy, but I think always sticks out in my mind is Second Corinthians chapter five. I'll read the whole thing because I think it's pretty good, um, or at least the majority of it, beginning in verse eleven, ending in twenty one. It says, "Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others." What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are um, in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for him and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And then, listen closely and gave us the ministry of reconciliation so god is reconciled in the business of reconciling sinful rebellious bad ugly people like you and me 
unto himself and making us part of his family. And he has given us that ministry. So he has given us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 11 through 21. So I think the duty of believers to share the good news, I hope that we would all agree is inescapable. Yet, if you're honest and I'm honest, we don't do that. At least as often as we ought. So in your experience, if you're willing to be vulnerable and honest tonight, what are some reasons why you uh, have shied away from sharing the gospel or when you look back at your life maybe you just haven't shared the gospel very much at all why okay okay what of you, especially if they're like a good friend and you're like, I've been a good friend with you all my life and they clearly don't see eye to eye and sometimes like to make a joke light of your religious persuasion and that one's hard because you don't want to sever the relationship but you want to be honest if you're really being loving. Sometimes you may not want to get involved in the uh, yeah, better way of putting it is the defense of the gospel. It, it, sometimes with some people it takes a lot to instead of just giving them your testimony and they say, well, what about this, what about that? And it mm-hmm. becomes a theological discussion instead of just trying to tell someone that, hey, Christ died in the cross for your sins. You know? uh, yeah, but a lot of times I be, think that's a smokescreen. I know, uh, On their end, they're trying to get you to get off of the topic yeah. that you really don't, because they, they're trying to discredit yeah. anything that you have to say mm-hmm. by dealing with all these sometimes non-issues out here because they don't want to have to actually see themselves face to face I think uh, fear of fear of rejection but they're not rejecting us they're rejecting Christ and it's just that fear um, and then also also depending on how if I'm battling with sin or you know yeah you know what I mean like I feel like inadequate because um, you know here I am 
how can I say this when I'm struggling with this, you know, or when I don't feel like I'm, my, my walk with the Lord is close, as it has been, or it could be, um, I don't know, and then, you know, you, you tell people about Christ, and then, and we mess up, you know, we, <laughs> we think we have to be, we don't, we don't have to be perfect, but sometimes I think we, you know, we're like, well, just present the gospel to someone and then we you know maybe are impatient with something Mm -hmm. and it's like well you're not what god do you serve you know you're not trusting the lord i mean not that somebody would say that but i think that Mm -hmm. so yeah i wonder if some of the reasons why we don't witness is that we don't actually We've we've insulated ourselves into such a Christian bubble that we really don't have relationships with unbelievers. Mm-hmm. We might rub shoulders with unbelievers at work, but we're not willing to actually get to know them well enough, engage them in friendship deep enough to ever get to the place where we can have a conversation. You know, many of us have grown up in such conservative sides of Christianity, and I, I hate to sound like I just keep beating the negative drum of conservative Christianity because it's not a bad thing. Um, just like in every sphere, there's always... No, nothing's perfect. So, um, But I think one of the unfortunate things of growing up in a Christian school and in a conservative school and church and then going to another Christian college conservative is that you lose that connectivity with unbelieving people and you're so insulated that there's a fear instilled in you that if you hang out with them you're going to be like them so then I can't hang out with them and I can't be friends with them and uh, so there. I'm not saying that that's incorrect because it certainly can happen. Uh, But I think that sometimes we're almost, like I was talking about last week, sometimes we've become conditioned to like not allow our head and our heart to interact in worship. I think sometimes we view, uh, we, we have taken evangelism and growing the family, so to speak, and we've made it this sterile thing where it can only happen from a pulpit or in certain types of uh, programs and not in a really intense, like, deep personal relationship with other people, even though we all we all would think, well, of course that's the best place to do it, but it involves, like, really muddy, murky waters. And who wants to go there? You know, like one of my closest friends lives out in California. He grew up kitty corner to me. And, I mean, I love that guy. He's an unbeliever. He is like, I don't know what California has done to him. Hopefully he doesn't let Bobby, if you're listening to this, ever, please just ignore me. But, I mean, not that he would. But, I mean, you know, California has warped his brain. You know, I mean, I don't know what has happened. Like, if there's something screwy going on in California, and like the guy, I love the guy. We have great conversations, but I mean, I'm burdened for his soul. But I get that feeling. Like he's only one of 
maybe a handful of people that I ha- I'm building close, I have close friendships with that are unbelievers. Shame on me. I need to be out there, um, guardedly out there. The key to your relationship with Bobby, though, is that Bobby hasn't ever rejected us or Troy. Oh, no. He comes back from California. He He's at our house. Are you looking for a meal or, you know? Oh. Uh, he, he, he conveniently comes. always shows yeah. up at dinner time. Yeah, he always comes to see us, and it's just like he still <clears throat> lives next door from 37 years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, so it's but sure Bobby's unsaved, but Troy, particularly, and Susan and I, secondarily, still have a chance to witness the Bobby. Yeah. So until we draw our last breath, yeah, or the Lord returns, we still have it. We can, we're still a witness to Bobby after all this time. But everything that you've said, I've experienced every one of those fears. Like the fear, like, okay, he's he's good at, like, sidewinding and getting into all these discrediting arguments. And then, well, I don't really care. Like, okay, let's engage in the theological ar- argument, Bobby, and I'll wipe your tail clean. But <laughs> it's... I'm not scared of that part, but all these crazy objections about this person, this person says this, and I'm like, oh yeah, where do you find this stuff, you know? And so, it's that's been good though, because now that California has warped his brain, he comes back with all these crazy ideas. It's good for me because it sharpens me. But you know, it's like I totally get where you guys are at. Up and then that opens the door. I mean, but like if he comes here, you're just not on that, like, you know. Oh, no. Right? I mean, I just, hey, how's, how's the, because he works in, uh, he's an editor in, uh, TV like, in TV shows. So he does reality TV shows. Half the time I don't, I actually, once he tells me the name of the show, I'm like, or like it's on MTV. I'm like, yeah, I don't really care what, you know, but we'll sit there and talk about his life. What's he doing? How's his house going? You know, he bought it house in California and talk about life and how his parents are and but it, it always comes back to like I'll ask him about hey so what do you think about this whole Hillary Clinton Donald Trump mm-hmm. thing you know like he was here this summer and I think it was this summer recently and his dad his dad has got to be like pushing 75 maybe, right uh, maybe 72 or so 73 he, he's playing in a band <laughs> And they invited me to go to this rock band concert of like a bunch of really old people. And so I went with their family, you know, sitting there watching this and, you know, just hanging out and talking about whatever. So, I mean, it comes up, but it usually comes up. I mean, we, he'll always make, you know, some snide comment about. You know, like, why Why do you need to keep, why do you need to go to seminary? I mean, you haven't learned all of it yet, you know, like, <laughs> or, you know, why do you keep needing to go to church to your preaching, you know? Although he loved Inner City. He loved listening yeah. to Pastor Dorn. Uh-huh. But, but he, he keeps coming back. That's, that's, yeah. uh, coming so, back. Sylvia's. It's really Sylvia's. Sylvia's Sub Shop in <laughs> Elm Park. That's our go-to place. So, um, anyway. All right, I'll keep going. So what are some things um, that you think are necessary in order to be a positive witness. Not to live what you're talking about. Yeah. Okay. Don't live one way and preach another. Okay. Your 
But we all do that, though, right? I mean, we all fail that. We do fail, but there needs to be a difference. They need to be able to see that there's a difference. Okay. How will you respond to those failures, too? Mm -hmm. Uh Right. If we're repentant, they they take note. Right. That's true. Okay. I agree. You need to love them. Yeah. It doesn't matter... Their economic class, color of their skin, whether or not they're grumpy people or they're old people or they're young people or they're snot, snotty nosed, you know, punk teenager, you know, like we're all image bearers. So, or what lifestyle they're living? Yeah. Mm-hmm. No judgment. Mm-hmm. Right. right. Yeah. They just. Yeah, and that can be hard only because we know how God says to live, and then you have, you know, it's, it's hard. <laughs> I mean, they're not going to, an unbeliever is not, um, I told a guy when I was in Milwaukee, so he was going through some marriage problems, and his wife was leaving him, and um, he, and I don't know how in the world, like he just called our church up, and I happened to answer the phone. I was like, maybe let me transfer you to the senior pastor. And he was like, no, I think this would be a good opportunity for you. I'm like, <sighs> so I get talking to this guy. I go to I go to lunch with him. Like, thanks, Kurt. Really appreciate that one. And so I go to lunch with him at Buffalo Wild Wings, and and I finally got to the point where I was like, here's the thing: is that we could talk about all these things that you could do to try to be a different person for your wife. But at the end of the day, all that is going to be doing, and he is an unbeliever, all that's going to be doing is putting makeup on a pig. And now makeup on a pig is a good thing. I mean, but makeup on a pig isn't going to last. And, and what needs to happen in order for lasting change to occur is there needs to be heart transformation, and the only way that that can happen is the gospel. So um, I don't know why I got on that, but... I mean that that's our goal but that also has to be what what we are you know we are people that are being in need of change and are being changed by the gospel and that that change is becoming evident to the people around us Uh, Matthew 5 13 through 16 talks about us being the salt and the light of the world and the lesson we did two years ago now talked about the necessary components or the necessary parts of the equation of being a positive witness and maybe you'll remember I'm not expecting you to but it was high potency plus close proximity plus clear presentation equals maximum impact. So high potency, salt, plus close proximity, salt, plus clear presentation, light, equals maximum impact. High potency. It's here referring to a strong enough concentration of Christ's influence in our lives that his power and his presence 
are undeniable to others. I would put it this way, that we possess a contagious Christ-likeness. So there's got to be something unique and different in us that we are believers and that we are repenters and that those characteristics remain true of us throughout our lives. But high potency is contagious Christ-likeness. So put that way, how do we become highly potent Christians? Where the power and the presence of God are undeniable to others. Just practically speaking, how does that happen for Aguina, for Troy, for Pete, and the rest of us? We've got to know the word. Um, so being under good teaching, uh, preaching of the word classes, like we take on Wednesdays and on Sunday mornings being together with one another. So studying the word, knowing knowing the word, knowing who um, God is the character of God and being able to you know trust him for the different things that come like say the trials that come in our lives, trust him and show a diff you know, that can show a difference to others. But we we have to first know who God is in order to do that. So who does he say he is in his word and what are his promises? Because mm-hmm. if we don't know that, we're not going to know how to act, how to obey. So if I made you think back two weeks ago to if I was a new believer coming to you and saying, hey, how do I grow to be like Christ? What would you tell them? So maybe if we just made it a little bit more generic, the spiritual disciplines, Mm -hmm. right? The word, prayer, church church membership, things of that sort. It's not a, there's no five-step process, you know, there's no time time frame. It's nothing high-tech or fancy, it's just... For us to be highly potent, contagious Christians, having a contagious Christ-likeness, we got to be disciplined. You know, sometimes it's not always what we say to people, but it's how we act in front of people. Um, and how we react to situations in front of people. Um, and so, you know, we don't have to... I don't think we have to be running around with the, you know, the little New Testament in our pocket or Gospel of John and flipping it out every time a circumstance comes up. But, you know, when someone says, hey, uh, you know, my, my wife's really sick. Or, hey, you know, hey, we write that down. I'll, I'll, I'll pray for your wife. Uh, do that with our neighbor lady that uh, has been through a cancer bout or people lose a loved one and say, hey, you know, we'll, we'll pray for you. Or, hey, you know, I've been through that circumstance. You can talk to people about, you know, being a man or a woman, being a mom or dad or uh, aunt or uncle, grandparent, whatever you might, you know, where you are in life. You can talk to everybody, anybody about that. Well, why can't we talk to anybody about the things of the Lord? Because being a Christian 
being saved, being redeemed is way more important than whether I'm a dad or a grandpa. You know, I mean, I'm talking about talking about our eternal, you know, our eternity, and if we make that as much a part of our life as it is, you know, being uh, getting ready to get married, maybe, or you know, being grandparents or whatever, you know, if we make the gospel that much a part of our life as those things are, then it becomes easy to do it. Now, I'm not saying I got the corner on it. I sure don't. But that's just, you know, if you if you act out and live out your life, people will see that as well as, as what you say. So, <clears throat> high potency or contagious Christ-likeness plus close proximity... which I would call close connection with unbelievers. We need to get close to people we're hoping to reach in order to allow his power to have its intended effect. Right? So, I mean, just take this in the salt illustration. I mean, I know we're not living in the day of you know, having to stick a block of salt on a steak, but, I mean, so if I just... If I had my steak here and I had my little salt shaker here, well, it's close, but that's not going to make my salt or my my steak really nice and salty tasting or help preserve it. It's not until that salt gets nice and integrated into my steak that it tastes good and preserves it, right? Or McDonald's fries, if you prefer. <laughs> Those are the best fries. So we have to have a close connection with unbelievers. But how do we balance the tension between maintaining our necessary close proximity or a close connection with unbelievers who are obviously in the world and of the world and not being negatively influenced by unbelievers? fun sponge, right? Because if all you do is the serious stuff, then I mean, I'm not ripping any, I'm just that's, that's the reality that's kind of what you become. I mean, something that my dad uh, I remember asking him, I don't know when, but he worked in a power plant at DTE at least all my, I mean, all my life and then some and uh seemed like he always was talking to people at work about Christianity. And I don't remember how I asked the question, but I asked him something, and he just said, I talk to them like they're you. You know, he just, like, he would talk to them about life 
And so, it would, like, talking about Christ and God and faith and church and all that, it never was an awkward thing because he just talked as if, like, they were me, that they were family. Like, that he didn't let them make him feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Their lack of belief. Like, he just talked right. about it as if it was, like, the normal thing. And I try to do that, but sometimes it's hard because I don't want to, like, uh, you know, insult someone. Uh, but he had a good, he maintained close proximity. But I think one of the keys that the book pointed out two years ago is that the only way we can maintain a, a safe, close connection with unbelievers is if we are contagiously Christ-like. If we are first highly potent believers or contagiously Christ-like, that is the is is our chief and first safeguard to becoming completely integrated and taken over and swayed by their wrong thinking and living. But I think another factor is what we find in Hebrews chapter three, verses twelve and thirteen. And in another significant, and I don't know if I can emphasize this enough, is that you and I, our insider group, the real church of CBC, is what we need to keep each other from falling away. Because we've got to be in the world and tenaciously in the world, rubbing shoulders with unbelievers so that we can help them see their need for Christ. But to do so, it's not sufficient only to be Christ-like. We need other believers. Listen to what the text says in Hebrews 3. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Sorry, a little message popped up on my iPad. So we must, verse 13, encourage one another daily. As long as it's called today. So it's today Wednesday. It's today today. Yep. So we need to encourage each other. That means that we need to know each other. That we have relationships with each other. Enough to know how we can specifically encourage each other, not just the rah-rah, like, hey, Edwina, go. I mean, and those are good. and But we need to be able to encourage each other specifically. That doesn't mean we got to be able to do that with everybody in our assembly, because um, that's just not humanly possible to be friends with 300 people in, in such an intimate way that we can encourage them specifically every time. But God has given us a book filled with different prayers just by the Apostle Paul, for instance, that we could sit there and pray specifically for those for our brothers and sisters in Christ without not know without knowing their specific needs. Get a good example with her on was it Saturday you're going? Friday. Friday. She's going with unsaved friends. Sunday. Ask her I won't see her Sunday, you guys will. Ask her how Friday went. <clears throat> that you know, you'll pray for her that you know she'll have a good time with them maybe be able to give them the gospel mm-hmm. 
Friday, and then ask her how it went on on uh, Sunday. Help encourage you. I have a friend who's, we are accountability partners with another, and we meet every four to six weeks, and we tell each other what's happened, what we're doing, and what God's doing in our lives, and then pray for each other. And it's it's really made a difference for me. I've mm-hmm. never had anything like that before, and that is really, really nice. Hmm. Uh, something that I, not exactly sure where to put in, but just a, a a book recommendation. There's a book called Tactics by a guy named Greg Kukul, K-O-U-K-L. I think his first name is actually Gregory on the cover of the book. Spell that again. Greg Kukul, K-O-U-K-L. It's close if it's not right, but I think it's right. That's right. And it's called Tactics. And it is uh, it is a great book. Um, Pete is obviously nodding his head, so I've he's read probably it read it. Times. So I would highly recommend that for those of us that you know maybe we have that close relationship, like I have with my friend Bobby. But we get that close proximity, but then we get stage fright of like, okay, he's starting to zing this one and this one and this one. And we're like, Wah! and we don't know. Okay, now all of a sudden we've got all these questions, and we feel like we're again in the hot seat. This book is is in a in a very practical way helps us just to kind of like is everything okay? He's seen if we have it in the oh, bookstore. I think it's just a very good practical way of thinking through. Okay, let's slow ourselves down. Truth is on our side. Yes. This person is spewing falsehood. Mm-hmm. So let's make them give an account for what they're saying. And it just kind of goes through a very simple, it's like a non, uh, you don't really have to know anything about what they're talking about to employ the things that they're, he employs. And it's really helpful because it kind of puts you in a posture of, okay, I can be a learner of, okay, well, what do you mean? You know, and they just has a series of questions and it's, it's really helpful. So if you, I would highly recommend that. Maybe you could read it by Friday. Um, <laughs> you could read it, actually. It's it's really easy to read. Trust me, I don't like... I really struggle reading, so for me to say a book is easy to read, it's got to be really easy to read, like third grade level. Um, so we have uh, high potency or contagious Christ-likeness, close proximity, a close connection with unbelievers, and then uh, a clear presentation of the gospel light. So the ascent, the central idea that emerges is that of clearly and attractively presenting God's truth to others, illuminating it in order to show it for what it really is. So we must be able to clearly communicate the gospel message. So here we go. Drum roll. Semester one. Can anyone remember, and I won't even make you explain, the five points of the gospel that we discussed that were essential to grasp in order to become a believer? Remember, you got in the pocket. It starts with... Christ. 
God? What? Man. Man and sin. And his sin. Then. Christ and his. Christ. And we have. What do you got to do in, in light of all of that? So response. Response. And the last is promise. So God, man and sin, Christ, response, and promise. God. God is the creator and he is holy. Man and sin. We are God's creation made to enjoy a relationship with Him and to obey Him. But we disobeyed our Creator, breaking our relationship with Him and unable to save ourselves from the eternal consequences of our disobedience. God will surely judge our sin because He is our Holy Creator. Jesus Christ. But God loved us so much that He sent His Son Jesus Christ to earth to save us from the eternal consequences of our sin. Jesus lived a perfect life that we have failed to live and died on the cross to pay the penalty of our sin, a death that we deserved. Three days after his crucifixion, he rose from the grave, conquering death and sin. The proper response. Our response to this good news should be to confess and turn from our sinful life, it's repentance, and wholeheartedly trust, that's the believe, in the forgiveness that God promises through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection as revealed by God in his word. The promise. For all who repent and believe, God promises a restored relationship with him both now and forever. God, man and sin, Jesus Christ, response and promise. Tuck those things away. Go dig your notes out. Email me if you want them. I can send you the notes so you can have those refreshed in your memory. So let me give you uh, another resource that might help. It's a book called Questioning Evangelism. I've suggested this resource a number of times before to you. It's called Questioning Evangelism. And it's written by a guy named Randy Newman. Newman is spelled N-E-W-M-A-N-N. And his his philosophy is is very similar to Greg Kukul in the Tactics book. Um, I think the Tactics book is probably a little bit... uh, They're both good for different reasons. The tactics book is very simple and clear. Ask this kind of question, then ask this question. Where questioning evangelism is more kind of uh, teasing out the philosophy of let's evangelize like Jesus. How did Jesus evangelize? By asking questions. And, and then he, it talks a little bit about why asking questions is good. And then he goes through in questioning evangelism uh, different scenarios um, with in each scenario, a guy or a gal is presenting like a kind of a unique obstacle uh, or objection to Christianity, and he kind of shows how he would use questions to kind of get to the bottom and kind of put the onus back on that person. 
Tactics is a little bit more for those of you that are structural in, in nature and like to have like a little grid like me. That would be more helpful to you. The questioning evangelism for those who just kind of like your, you know, artsy fartsy people who are just kind of all up left left brain people or whatever, whichever brain, side brain you are. Your left handed people, so means your right brain, your creative types. Well, then you could read the questioning evangelism and just kind of flow through that conversation with ease. So let's just think about some course corrections that we need to constantly be making as we, as believers, are trying to enlarge the family via evangelism. Because we got this high-potency, close-connection thing going on. So what would you call high-potency plus low-proximity, or uh, instead of close-proximity, distant-proximity? Okay, that would be one way. That yes, just knocking on the door, just okay. bridge track, you know, and then like no. Which is nothing wrong with that. No, but there's no. There's no relationship. But one of those, I mean, that could potentially lead to isolation, right? Where you get churches that are just kind of like in their holy huddle. It's like you get ingrown in a church where there's there's no relationship with the outside world it almost becomes kind of cult-like and it's like ooh stay away everything so we don't have a relationship with the outside world but we're in our holy huddle that's isolation what are some signs of that that you see in today's church like what are some signs of isolation no world Okay, that could be one. Okay. Like a hyper separatism almost, where it's like we reject the world to such an extent that um, you know, if, if someone comes in from the outside and they come in jeans and t-shirt, I mean, they're like shunned because everyone's standing there and they're. You know, they're tuxedos, and not literally, but you know what I mean. That there's not a welcome, a, a loving spirit of you're an image bearer and you need Christ. So let's come in, warmly welcome them. What about um, low potency? So you're lacking that contagious Christ likeness. But a high proximity, you've got all this, you've got all the close relationships in the world. What is the danger there? Yeah, identification. You become just like them, right? And what are some signs in our churches today where our, that our churches and the people of the, the, the people of the church have identified with the world? Okay. What? Stop coming to church. Okay. Okay. So what? How, what if we? How would we describe successful evangelism? What would you say successful evangelism looks like? You know, that's always tricky when I qualify it with successful. Do it the way 
we're talking about. Um, we're not going to be perfect in it. But we do something. Okay. And not based on a person's response. So... So are you saying that if I share the gospel with my friend Bobby, he never comes to Christ, that I've successfully evangelized him? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Okay. That's right. <laughs> it's not our job to get anyone saved. It's God's job to save people. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. That's just... I know that. I just wanted to hear you guys say that. <laughs> so the statement I have written down is, so what does successful evangelism look like? Taking the initiative to share Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, leaving the results to God. Taking the initiative to share Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, leaving the results to God. Because we can't make their hearts regenerate. We can't make them repent and believe. We might be able to pressure them to pray some prayer. But at the end of the day, if that prayer is not flowing from a genuinely repentant, believing heart that has been regenerated by the Spirit of God, it does not matter. So successful evangelism is being highly potent, contagiously Christ-like, close proximity, having close relationships and connections with unbelievers, with a clear message of the gospel, God, man and sin, Christ, response and promise. Doing it in dependence on the Spirit and leaving the results up to God. So how do you look, how do we look, how do I look in the mirror of this equation? you had to take an assessment do you have even have relationships with unbelievers and of those relationships with unbelievers are you intentionally building those relationships to be their friend to demonstrate the love of Christ to them with a prayerful expectation of opportunities to live your faith out in front of them and to share the driving passion of your life with them. Do you have, do I have, the contagious Christ-likeness that is necessary? Or are you on the struggle bus of that walking that fine line of yeah maybe you've got the relationships but you lack the high potency and you're you know you're riding the struggle bus as we like to talk about at our house you know you're you know you're having a rough day maybe you're having a rough week or month or year and and you're finding yourself swayed and and, and drawn away from Christ we need each other you need high potency we can all help each other get to that place. So how are you doing? Think about that this week. And then 
let's all pray specifically for Karen for Friday that she has an opportunity. No pressure, by the way. We're not going to all say, did you share the gospel? And if you didn't, shame on you. Because that, the, I mean, the other day, that's the beauty of this. We don't have to feel pressure that every time we see someone, we're beating them over the head with the gospel. We're building relationships and establishing a context and a comfort comfortable context where they trust us, they know that we love them, and our demonstration of loving them is sharing the gospel with them. The hard part with them is they're Catholic, mm-hmm. so they think they're good. Mm-hmm. So that's what's talk to my dad about that. He's got a, a book called The Gospel According to Rome. It's probably a little deep, but it, he's interacted a lot with a Catholic guy down in Texas that he might be able to help you with. So if you ever engaged in conversation with them about the differences. So anyway. All right, let's pray and we can get out of here. Father, thank you that you have saved us and that you have made us new creations so that we can share your glory and your power with other people. I pray that um, the change that you are working in us would be evident to all so that we would adorn your gospel well, that we would um, spread it with passion and enthusiasm, and that we would um, do so in dependence on your spirit. In your name we pray. Amen.